Traveling and speaking, uh, I spent the first 12 years in ministry traveling and speaking full-time. I found that it's really helpful when you have a good introduction, when, like you just did, Pastor Gerald. Someone says some kind words about you. It sets the, the presentation off on the right foot, uh, on the right trajectory. If you have a bad introduction, the opposite can be true. I've learned this through personal experience. I've been introduced as the wrong name several times. I've been introduced as Joseph Henton. I've been introduced as my favorite was Joey Pendleton. That was funny. Just recent, in fact, just a, last month, I was speaking in South Carolina, and there's a big sign that said, Welcome, Joel Pentoon. I thought, that's not my name. But, uh, but maybe the best was I was speaking at a youth conference in Columbus, and the guy that uh, introduced me was really excited. He said, hey, everybody, we have a great speaker this evening. A year ago, the leadership team and I, we put our heads together. We decided unanimously on who we wanted to come and speak. And so I called the guy up. I got him on the phone. He agreed to come speak. We were all set and ready to go. But you know what? Last week, he called me and said he couldn't make it. And so instead... Tonight, we have Joel Penton. It's actually a true story. But he, he got my name right, though. Um, but no, excited to be with you. Um, we'll do a few things. We'll, I will give you an update on LifeWise. Kind of tell you the big picture LifeWise story. And then Pam, this is your literal first warning of this. Uh, at the very end, I'll have you join me up here. and You can share a little bit about what's going on uh, locally. Um, before all of that, I will share with you from the Word of God. And before that, I'll just quickly introduce you to my family that's on the screen. So um, we got the pleasure of going out west this summer, and we saw Mount Rushmore. And uh, sometimes people see this photo, and they say, wow, Joel, six kids. That's awesome. Uh, where's your wife? Was she holding the camera? And I say, no. I was holding the camera, the selfie style. My wife is in the photo. She just is very beautiful and she doesn't age. She doesn't age because she was a gymnast at Ohio State. Um, and so Bethany and I met at Ohio State. The Lord's given us five wonderful children. Uh, Joel, Judah, Luther, Vera, Levi, ages 14, 13, 11, 8, 6. Did I get all those right? Yep, thank you. And uh, three of them are joining me this morning, so why don't you stand up? The three youngest are joining me and wave. There they are. And uh, so they came with Dad. The two oldest are helping out at kids, uh, the kids' service at our home church in Hilliard, Ohio. So that's my family. And then this morning for the message... We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15, as you heard. We're just, you know, I, I'm a simple guy, so I can only make it through four verses. It's just verses one through four. And as you turn there, uh, or maybe your finger's still uh, there, uh, I'll point out that the, we've titled this message of first importance, and that's taken from the text, of course. But as you turn, I'll ask you to consider this question, what is the most important thing you know. That may sound like a strange question because we don't always think of information as being of different levels of importance, but surely there is some information that's more important than other information. So what, what is that most important thing? Perhaps you would say, oh, I know what that is. That's got to be my address because if I didn't know where I lived, I would just drive around forever. Or maybe you'd say, oh, that must be the, that one password I use for every single website. If I, if I forgot that, I'd be in trouble. Um, 
Or maybe you'd say, oh, that's the memory of maybe something from childhood or a loved one you've lost. Well, you don't have to think too long about it because the Bible actually tells us there is one piece of information that's more important than all the rest, and that's something called the gospel, which literally means good news. And you could say that the entire Bible is, in some sense, an expanded explanation of the gospel message. But I would argue there's one place in Scripture that has perhaps the most succinct telling of the gospel message, and it's here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. So we're going to read it, and we'll, ta- we'll um, go through it bit by bit. Here's what uh, Paul writes. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. He says, I'll remind you of the gospel. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, I'm familiar with the gospel. I've heard this a million times. Why do I need to go over it again? And Paul here says, there are certain things that are so important, that are so critical They're worth being reminded of again and again. It reminds me of a story about Martin Luther. Apparently, Martin Luther, somebody came up to him one day after preaching. He said, Pastor Luther, why do you preach the same thing every week? Every week, you preach the gospel again and again. And Martin Luther apparently said, because every week, you forget it. (laughs) And there's a lot of truth to that, that our hearts are naturally contrary to the gospel. We must come back to it again. And again, he says, I'd remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You know, there's a brand of belief that's in vain. It's not genuine. And we can tell if we're genuinely taking our stand in the gospel. He goes on, for I delivered to you, and here's our phrase, as of first importance what I also received. Now, in our English Bibles, we now have a colon in the text, and so what we're about to read is the central gospel message, and we will take it bit by bit. Here's what Paul says. First, is this working? Ah, He says, what I also received, he says, that Christ, here's what we first need to understand about the gospel. The center of the gospel message is a person, and that person's name is Jesus Christ. This is notable because many would point out that all other religions have ideas at the center of them, not necessarily a person. It's been said that you can take Buddha out of Buddhism and you still have Buddhism because Buddhism isn't about Buddha. It's just the guy that taught it. It's a collection of ideas. You can take Confucius out of Confucianism, and you still have Confucianism. You can take Muhammad out of Islam, you still have Islam, but you cannot take Jesus out of Christianity. At the very center of Christianity, at the center of the gospel, is not simply an idea. It's a person. Others have pointed out that this is remarkable because this person at the center of Christianity, at the center of the gospel, isn't the type of person you would think would have such an influence on the world. It's been noted that to make a big impact on the world, you pretty much need to do one of three things. You either need to lead a military force, be some sort of political leader, or be a prolific author. However, interestingly, Jesus never did any of those things in his earthly ministry. He 
didn't lead a military force. He wasn't a political leader. He uh, didn't write anything down with his own hands in his, during his earthly ministry. And yet, there's no one who has made a larger impact on our world, all would have to agree, than Jesus Christ. We literally count our time, measure time based on when he lived. The word in the text here, Christ, that is a transliteration of a Greek word, which is a translation of a Hebrew word, the Hebrew word Messiah. Now, the Messiah, Messiah literally means anointed one. And if you read through the Old Testament, you'll notice there are three different offices, three different positions, three different jobs, I guess you could say, that were anointed. The prophet was anointed. The prophet, the person who speaks the word of God on behalf of God to God's people, that person was anointed. The priest was anointed, the person who intercedes for man, between man and God, offers sacrifices on behalf of man to reconcile man to God. He was anointed. And the king was anointed, the person who rules and reigns and governs over God's people from his throne in Jerusalem. And for centuries, the scriptures foretold that there would be one true anointed one to come, one true Messiah, one true Christ, one true prophet who wouldn't simply speak the word of God on behalf of God, but who would be the very incarnate word of God, one true priest who would not simply intercede by offering the blood of sheep and and bulls, but would offer his very own blood and be the sacrifice to reconcile man to God. And one true king who would not simply rule and reign on a throne in Jerusalem, but would rule and reign on a heavenly throne over everything, over the entire universe, all that is seen and all that is unseen. And the scriptures tell us that this one true anointed one, this one true Messiah, this one true true Christ is none other than the man Jesus. And this Jesus is at the central, is at the center of this all important message. Take out Jesus and we don't have the gospel. I have a friend who wrote a book and another friend told me about this book and said, hey, you got to read this guy's book. It's really good. Uh, at the end, he shares the gospel. That's what he said. At the end, he shares the gospel. And I thought, that's great. I know a lot of people are going to read this book. So I got a copy of the book and I read it cover to cover. And I tell you what, it's a fine book, but he didn't mention Jesus one time. Jesus wasn't mentioned. My friends, the gospel wasn't shared because at the center of the gospel message is not an idea and it's not vague talk about God. It's not vague talk about goodness. It's a person, Jesus the Christ. Let's keep reading and we'll have to go faster than this if we're going to finish. Okay. Uh, That Christ, what did Christ do? He died for our sins. If you're brand new to Christianity, you might think that doesn't sound like good news, Uh, but I can assure you it not only is good news, it is the best news in all the world. Jesus, though he's God in human flesh, deserving only honor, only praise, went and suffered a brutal death for our sins. So much theology is packed into that little phrase for our sins. How many of you how many of you like big words? Okay, there's like 3 of us. 
One of them is my son, Luther. Uh, so we, we, we're going <laughs> to uh, we're going to have fun, just the three of us. So packed into those. Packed into those words, for our sins are some amazing doctrines, like the doctrine of propitiation. Say propitiation. propitiation. You sound great, propitiation. And it's this concept that because of our sin, the wrath of God is coming down on mankind. God is very upset with mankind for our sin, and His wrath is coming down on us. But when Jesus died for our sins... He literally stepped in and absorbed, diverted, propitiated the wrath of God and experienced it so we don't have to when Jesus died for our sins. It's the doctrine of expiation. Say expiation. expiation. And it's this, that we stand before a holy, perfect, righteous God and we are filthy. We are stained by our sins. What an appropriate song that we sung, the opening song. Be washed in the blood of the Lamb. We are stained before God. And when Jesus died for our sins, He cleanses us. He expiates us. We're literally washed in His blood so we can be holy as well. It's the doctrine of justification. Say justification. justification. And that's this, that we stand before God in God's courtroom. And we stand before Him as guilty, sentenced, to death. But when Jesus died for our sins, he stepped in and took on our guilt so that we could be declared as righteous. Second uh, Corinthians 5.21, people ask me what my favorite verse in the Bible is. I don't love that question. I like them all. Um, but Second Corinthians 5.21 really blows my mind. It says this, for God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Martin Luther called this the great exchange, that Jesus takes our sin and in return gives us his righteousness. Try to think of an analogy that would do this some justice. I'm sure I've failed, but try this one. Uh, imagine this, while the three youngest kids of mine and I are here, in Bucyrus, imagine that uh, someone in Hilliard, where my other kids are, if, and my wife, if they were to break into my house and kill my wife and two oldest boys, if then that man were to be arrested, tried and convicted and sentenced to death to die for his heinous crime, if then I were somehow... <laughs> to be able to convince the, the judge and the state for me to die instead of him. That I would be executed instead of the man who killed my family. And he would go free. But it wouldn't even end there. Because Jesus doesn't just take our sin and remove our guilt. He gives us his righteousness. So imagine if that man, after I died for him, if he were then to go and live in my house and sit in my furniture and eat my food. My friends, do you realize that is infinitely less than what Jesus has done for us when he justifies us dying for our sins? We could talk about redemption, the doctrine of redemption that 
we are slaves to sin. And when Jesus died for our sins, he literally broke the bonds and set us free. We could talk about reconciliation, that we are alienated from God. And through Jesus' death for sin, we are brought close to God. We could go on and on and on, but just know this. At the center of this all-important gospel message are these beautiful words that Jesus died for our sins. I was preaching in uh, at a college outreach thing at Malone University. Uh, was it Malone? Yeah, I think so. Or Mount Union. That's where it was, Mount Union. And there was a pastor that spoke before me, and he went up front. And he said, I'm going to teach, I'm going to uh, speak on the full gospel message. Now, I was taught young that any time people add a word before gospel, that's a bit of a red flag. He said, I'm going to teach the full gospel message. And he talked about dealing with our inner darkness. He talked about following Jesus and, and helping others. But he never mentioned that Jesus died for our sins. My friends, the gospel wasn't shared. The center of this gospel message is who Jesus is and what he's done, dying for our sins. Next, it says, in accordance with the scriptures, all that Jesus did was... Uh, foretold for centuries. Uh, the Old Testament pointed to Jesus in very uh, specific predictive ways, sure, like where Jesus would be born, how Jesus would die, that type of thing, but even more so in uh, foreshadowing uh, ways. Uh, it's been pointed out that Jesus is the hero of every story. We teach this in LifeWise. Uh, Jesus is the truer and better Abraham who left his home land in faith on a quest for God. Jesus left his home of heaven in faith. Jesus is the truer and better David who went and fought the giant on our behalf. David fought the giant Goliath. Jesus fought the only giants that can kill us, Satan, sin, and death. Jesus is the truer and better temple, the true meeting place between God and man. You want to go to meet with God? In the Old Testament, you went to the temple. Today, you go to Jesus. All of Scripture points to Jesus. And in the Old Testament, I'm sorry, the New Testament, his acts have been written down. We'll read on that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. The, the gospel concludes with this amazing note that yes, Jesus died for our sins. However, he did not stay dead. No, he rose from the dead in victory over Satan, sin, and death. Jesus today is alive and well, he's seated on a throne, ruling over everyone, over everything. Another important distinction between Christianity and other religions. Buddha died and is still dead. And it's very reasonable. Muhammad died and is still dead. Confucius died and is still dead. Jesus died. He's not dead. He's alive. And he's ruling and reigning. He's victorious. This is the gospel, the most important message. Real quick, I just want to uh, take note of a couple observations about this gospel message. The first, there we go. The first is that this gospel is inexhaustibly profound and yet accessibly simple. The greatest minds this world has to offer can ponder this gospel message for their entire lives and never reach the bottom of how profound and meaningful this gospel is. You, you could begin reading books. Right now, you could start reading books 
just written about the gospel by people with PhDs. And if you read for every minute of your entire life, you'd never get to the bottom of that pile of books. In fact, you would not be able to keep reading. You would not be able to read and keep up at the rate that new books are being written. This gospel is so profound. However, it's also been compared to a lake in which an elephant can swim and a child can wade. Because the gospel is also very simple in a way, isn't it? I mean, it only took us a moment to read through it. It's so simple and accessible that you can teach it to children. You can teach it to anybody. That's one of the great joys is that we can teach it to our children. In our house, we try to connect everything to the gospel. We, um, something we do when we watch movies, we try to explain to them that any good story steals its power from the one true great story. When you see the hero sacrificing himself for the sake of his uh, beloved uh, we even connect day, uh, things throughout the day to the gospel. We do something at our house. We go to Costco. Is there a Costco around here? Who goes to Costco? Nobody. There isn't one. What about Sam's Club? Is that a thing? Okay. Okay, good. Well, we go to Costco. At Costco, they sell a rotisserie chicken that is $5. I've heard that they lose money on it because it's to get people in the door. I understand. It's massive. It's like the size of a Thanksgiving turkey. It's so big. I don't understand what chemicals they're shoving into this chicken. And I don't care because those chemicals are delicious. But anyway, we get the Costco chicken. We bring it home and we, we load up. Sometimes we take two vans. We all of these kids are all hungry. We fill up our vans and we unload the groceries. And then we, we haven't done this lately, but we used to, every time we then bring the kids around the table and put the Costco chicken right in the middle, take the lid off, you know, all the steam comes up, and the, the five children would gather around, and there would be no plates, no forks, no napkins. We would just gather the kids, put the chicken there. My wife and I would step back <laughs> and say, go. It's like a scene from Jurassic Park. It's amazing. But before we would say go... I had a speech that I would give every time, the same speech. The kids got used to hearing it. I'd say, children, wasn't it kind of this chicken to give its life so that we can live? And you know what? It's a little silly, but they understand that. They understand that the chicken was alive, and now the chicken died. The chicken is going to give us life. Of course, <clears throat> not... After a while, my, my oldest son raised his hand. He said, Dad, um, I don't think the chicken chose to give its life. <laughs> I said, you don't know that? Just eat the chicken. Uh, <laughs> but no, this is, it's, it, on one level, it's simple stuff. And so uh, I, th I thought I might demonstrate that. Kids, stand up, and we do something at our house we call the Penton Catechism. It's a question-and-answer format thing I made up. And from the time that they can talk... We drill these things into their brain. I thought maybe we'd do a little bit of it. We'll start with Vera. Vera, you're going to have to be nice and loud. Here, you can face that way, but listen to me, but be nice and loud. Project your voice so they can hear. You don't have a microphone, I do. Vera, who loves you the most? Jesus. That's right. Luther, who loves you next? Daddy and mommy. That's the correct order. <laughs> I had to break them of that mommy and daddy habit. Just kidding. Levi, why do daddy and mommy love you? Oh, nice and loud so they can hear it. Because I'm your son. Because you're our son. Vera, how long will you be our daughter? Until 
Always. We're going to skip over all the stuff about the Trinity and all those things. We're going to go right to this. Uh, Luther, what's the most important thing in the whole world? The gospel. Ooh, Levi's got the long one. Levi, what is the gospel? Nice and loud. That's right. Vera, how do we respond to the gospel? With faith. With faith. Oh, it's so appropriate. This hits you, Luther. Uh, Luther, how do we preach the gospel? With words. With words. That's right. Luther has filled with words. Always has been. All right. Go ahead and have a seat, kids. Good job. Thank you. So the point is, it's, this is simple stuff, right? It's profound and yet simple. And then finally, whoops. The gospel is fundamentally news to be proclaimed, not rules to be followed. Isn't it amazing that this is the gospel message, that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, and still somehow it's popular opinion that the gospel is all about keeping a list of rules? That's wild. That's what other religions teach. Other religions teach, do X, Y, and Z, don't do A, B, and C, and God will love you. But that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says, you were supposed to do X, Y, Z, but guess what? You haven't been doing any of those things. You were supposed to avoid A, B, and C, but guess what you've been doing? A, B, and C. However, there's somebody who accomplished it all on your behalf, and then he paid the price for you. And if you turn to him, if you trust him, if you put your faith in him, he'll forgive you, He'll reconcile you to God. That's why it's so critical that we share this good news. We proclaim this good news with others. Uh, Luther said that we share the gospel with words. We teach our kids that because when we act as if the gospel is about something we do, it shows that we don't understand the gospel. There's a, a quote out there. I, I, I think it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. I'm not sure you, you know what I'm going to say. And that is, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. What? How do you tell someone Jesus died for their sins without words? Again, if you think the gospel is about what you do, you don't understand the gospel. The gospel is about something someone else did that affects you. Sometimes when I preach, people get frustrated because I did play football in college. I played for Ohio State and people are sad. Yeah, go Bucks. <laughs> Do we have some Buckeye fans? Okay. OH? That's pretty good. Do we have any Michigan fans? Oh, we have one in the back? That's, that's all right. I understand that this church is all about reaching the lost, so you're in the right place. <laughs> Well, people get frustrated because I don't tell any football stories. So I thought of a football story I'll share with you. When I was a freshman in college, it was 2002. We won a national championship that year. And we had a lot of close games. One game was very close. It was against Purdue. Does anybody remember that game? Came down, Holy Buckeye. That's right. That's, that was the, uh, the, what, was it Musburger said that or... Anyway, fourth quarter, it's back and forth all game long. Fourth quarter, we're down. We need to score a touchdown. It's like under two minutes left. We have the ball. We're driving. We get to about the 50-yard line. It gets to be fourth and one. Now, we have a little bit of time, so everybody in the world assumes we're going to run a quarterback sneak, keep the drive alive, and try to score. 
However, our quarterback, Craig Krenzel, takes the ball, doesn't run a quarterback sneak, drops back, and throws a long one toward number 12, Michael Jenkins, in the end zone. Anybody remember this? Yeah, I about had a heart attack at the time. Well, when that ball was sailing through the air, there are millions of Buckeye fans wearing their Blocko shirts all around the country, staring at that screen, wondering one thing. They're wondering, are we going to win the game? Are we going to win the game? However, in that moment, as that ball's in the air, guess what? There's only one person who makes any bit of difference to this game, and his name is Michael Jenkins. And if Michael Jenkins catches the ball, guess what everybody's going to say? We won the game. Well, Michael Jenkins did catch that ball, and his touchdown was credited to the entire team and then to all of Buckeye Nation. And we walked around saying, we won the game. And if we, if we ran into somebody who hadn't seen the game, you know what we would say? We would take them the news. We would say, I got good news. Guess what Michael Jenkins did? He caught the ball, and we won the game. My friends, that's what's happened with the gospel. Someone else, someone named Jesus, won a victory on our behalf when he died for our sins and rose from the dead, and it's credited to us. And now we have the joy, the privilege, the responsibility of sharing that news with others about what he has done. Hey, have you heard what Jesus did? We win. We won through his victory. This is the most important message in all the world. This is the most important information in all the world. It's so important, it's worth going to a foreign country where they're currently killing Christians and laying down your life saying, you can kill me, but I'm going to share the good news with you. It's so important. It's worth doing something like we're doing with LifeWise, starting a ministry that takes a lot of people, takes a lot of money, takes a lot of time, but you get to share the gospel with kids, most of whom have never heard this. And you know what? It's so important. It's worth walking to the backyard fence and chatting with your neighbor and saying, have you heard about this Jesus guy? Can I tell you something that's really important to me? Can I share something with you that has changed my life? It's so important. It's worth chatting up your coworker, taking him out to coffee. You pay and tell him about Jesus. It's that important. Let me pray uh, quickly and then tell you a little bit about LifeWise Academy. Lord, thank you so much for this gospel message. Thank you, Lord. It is important. And uh, sometimes it feels as though we are handling holy things with calloused hands. Uh, 